0: With Cuba Pete, a show that takes a critical look at the disparities between medical school education and society's growing healthcare inequities. Join Dr. Pedro Cubapete Pete Greer each episode as he interviews the experts working to transform medical education and ensuring that future doctors are trained to provide equitable and compassionate health care for all communities. Dr. Greer received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009 honoring his dedication to providing health care to underserved populations. As dean of Roseman University College of Medicine in Las Vegas, Dr. Greer is committed to creating a medical school of the future where students embrace the need to unite the heart and science of health care. And now, the host of No Laughing Matter with Cuba Pete, Dr. Pedro Cuba Pete Greer.
1: Live from Studio A in Las Vegas, hi, it's Cuba Pete. I'm Pedro Jose Greer, they call me Joe. I am the Dean at the University of, uh Rosamund University College of Medicine. And Cuba Pete, no laughing matter, which is about the intersection of society, healthcare, society, and what are we doing wrong in medical education, what can we do to change it? So only for the third time have I had a physician on the show. The first time was our very own Dr. Karen Esposito, which we were as a group here. The second time was when we were, Kamara, when we were talking about uh, uh, the empowered group and also the importance of mental illness. And today, today we have somebody who I uh, consider not only a close colleague, but a friend, a person I have the greatest admiration for, and I have known him since we were in Miami, and he used to be in my department there, and here now he is the associate dean for uh, clinical education as well as chief medical officer for the entire university and our clinical practice, which, which means our Rose, Roseman Medical Group, our Genesis, et cetera, et cetera, and who has a background that makes him probably the most qualified physician I've ever met. He's a former high school teacher, college professor, a graduate of film school and screenwriting, right? Mm-hmm. Got that right where English is my second language, so he'll correct <laughs> me as we'll do all this, but also understands the world of business, understands the culture we live in, and understands all the differences we need to make as educators to be able to prepare the future workforce. Dr. Gregory Schneider, originally from Missouri. That's right. That's right, so uh, actually you graduated University of Missouri, didn't you? That's
2: right, I went to med school and residency. Did University you? Missouri. Okay. Yeah.
1: Mizu, Mizu, as they call it, or
2: misery, as some people say. How
1: or misery, as some people say. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sounds good, Greg. It was a big move for you to come out here. Why?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of it is you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Just to be, to you know, to be honest. I mean, I, I very much in, enjoyed working with you in Miami, and uh, and your vision is is really powerful, and and and. Um,
1: he says, as he comes up with more ideas, uh, which I'm super enthusiastic <laughs> about, but go ahead.
2: Uh, well, I mean, I think we both have uh, some similarities in the sense that, um, you know, I left medicine for a little while because I felt like much of medical practice was just sort of putting a band aid on our sick society. Yeah. And so uh, when I learned of you and what you were doing and your team was doing to sort of think about ways where we can rethink medicine where we take into account all of the other societal and economic and cultural factors and because health is so much bigger than, than, than medicine.
1: Right, 100%. And unfortunately, our own profession doesn't see it that way. As many times I have been told, or I have read op-eds by other deans about things of social determinants, that, that that's not our lane. That's not something we should be concerned with. Well, I thought we were trained to look at the cause of all diseases and be able to get to the root cause. And you know, your perspective, and especially how you talk about patients, uh, you are so much the non-doctor, okay? It's, It's never about you, it's about who you're caring for. And we wanna build an environment, and this is why Greg is so important. Healthcare, as Greg explained to me, and academia are the two most toxic environments to work in. Put them both together and you have academic medicine and it's incredibly toxic. Many times faculty members are not happy. Everybody wants a position, they want their title. I got to get my next publication. But here we want to have a mission where none of this occurs, where we're really there as educators. You know, not as I, I, I am not a scholar nor do I pretend to be. I mean, you're a scholar, but I'm not. You, you publish quite well. And, your English is your first language, so that <laughs> helps out a lot too. But right. um, I look at myself more as an educator, but I see you as a true, true educator who understands how to teach, because you've done it before. Whereas most doctors have never been taught how to teach. Number one, you're, actually you are one of the most empathetic people. I have never seen somebody who listens as well as you do. And, and we saw that recently in an article where he was quoted. He was quote, It was about shift workers, and instead of talking about when he was on call, he talked about, as a family practitioner, what do you do with your patient when they're doing this? What do you recommend? What do you see? In, which I think was a, a very telling, not just the type of doctor you are, but the type of doctor we want to produce.
2: Well, it's interesting you talk about, you know, because in some ways I think of myself as a teacher more than I think of myself as a, a doctor or physician. My mom was a teacher. I think that was a big factor in in sort of what shaped me. But I, I also think that even teaching, the best teaching is is actually not pouring out information. It's listening right. and meeting people where they're at, finding out how they can grow and develop. And, and teaching is best when it's helping people to learn as opposed to giving them something. And I think the same thing for being a physician, that... Trying to find where people are at, what needs they have, how you can help them, how they can grow, how, what they need to, to make them best, their best selves.
1: And, and, and we're a profession that we're supposed to be giving, not taking, and that has sort of shifted. We've lost a lot of our, our virtues, humility, empathy, compassion, but that's only gonna come back in the students from various things. Number one is our Genesis program, to put them in a place where they can really learn humility and get that power differential shifted, but also from the environment, the teachers that are in front of them. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope you're with the students more than you want to be, which I don't think <laughs> will ever happen, because the example that they will get, the, the, the example that they will get, that goes far beyond medicine, you know? I mean, just think of all relationships looked at it that way, mm-hmm. where you actually listen instead of just saying. Um, but at the same token, we have to prepare the physicians for tomorrow's workforce, mm-hmm. and they gotta get paid. And one of those things is something that you're also an expert in, which is value-based. And do you wanna explain what that is to, to the, uh, the audiences out there? Because nobody knows what value-based actually means in healthcare.
2: So, well, most healthcare now, I mean, I, you know this, but is, the core of it is what we call fee-for-service. Right. That basically that uh, you get paid for the service, so so this incentives in healthcare are for you to do things, to, and the more you do, the more you get paid.
1: And as such, uh, aside from the disparities that occur, but the, the, the which cost really high costs, but also because the, if that's the vending machine, those that do the most expensive procedures are going to do more than then, and 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 you can game that system.
2: Well, and it may have little connection to health. Very little. (laughs) Because just doing stuff doesn't necessarily get people better.
1: Which we've proven over and over again.
2: And so, uh, you know, as U.S.'s health outcomes keep falling and we're doing more and more, um, but value-based care is an attempt to correct that, or to shift it at least, where where the value of care actually becomes reimbursed. And so we start looking at outcomes. And so that um, when a... Uh, uh, a surgeon gets reimbursed. They might get a higher reimbursement rate if they have fewer complications. Right. A uh, uh, primary care physician like myself. Uh,
1: another incentive is, to, if somebody gets readmitted in the hospital within thirty days, you don't get paid right, right, for the same right. as diagnosis. So the incentives are,
2: are to keep are, your patient healthy,
1: yeah. not heads on beds.
2: Because in a weird way, in a fee-for-service system, there, not that, and I honestly don't think people do this, but there is a weird incentive if somebody. Gets hospitalized and they get hospitalized again, you get paid again. You know, like yeah. there's a weird actual, and again, I don't think people do that consciously, but at least align the incentives with health.
1: You know. Saying that even having have lived in Miami, <laughs> where Miami has twice the Medicare fraud cases yeah. than the rest of the country combined. Yeah. So we see a lot of things. And even with this value-based, we, right. we, we see in South Florida where there's a lot of fraud going on. Around the rest of the country, there. are they're very much as approaching it to making the patient healthier, retraining, and because there's a big difference between health and health care. Mm-hmm. There's a very big difference between health care policy and policy that affects your health. Well,
2: and this is one thing about the, the Genesis program and uh, the program we did in Florida, the Neighborhood Health Program, uh, because by looking at, at holistically at someone, looking at their you know, do they have stable housing? Do they, do they have financial security? Do they have uh, a source of healthy food? Um, and, do, and, and, they-
1: and also put the young medical student in a position where, no, we're not the boss all the time. Yeah, huh. We're part of a team. And we each contribute equally. As a matter of fact, the one that's going to cover the rent does a lot more than controlling the blood pressure.
2: And I, I used to love that when we do the visits, and the visits, you know, have for the most part, I medical students, nursing students, and social work students, and where I loved how like the medical nursing students would get to appreciate the social work right. students because they would they would be able to get someone on a list for housing
1: or get somebody,
2: uh, the counseling they need, or you know, <coughs> Sorry. Okay.
1: We, The, uh, my uncle used to be Lucky Luciano's bodyguard in Cuba. When we mm-hmm. first started our first clinic back in 1983, it was a homeless clinic, and the mm-hmm. first person that I enlisted to go there was Alina because she was a social worker. Mm. And I actually took a very mob approach. <laughs> and the mob approach is it doesn't matter what you do, you gotta make money. Well, what if money was measured by health outcomes? So the healthier people were, the more money it translated into. So what, what did I do? I hired a bunch of social workers, put them in the back, because to me, the white coat became the candy store. The social workers were the gambling casino in the back of the store. But the white coat would bring them in. But they would save their lives. They would. This was for the homeless, they would get them housing, food, job training, etc. All we did was take care of, oh, you got another cut? Or you had, let me give you medications that we know are gonna get lost on the streets, so.
2: When Alina, so Alina was uh, 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 a woman that we worked with, who helped with our grants management, and she had been a social worker by training. I mean, just another right. sign of who she was. You know, she she retired early to take care of her sister, who who is uh, elderly and struggling with dementia. And so, I mean, that's the the
0: that's, kind of person yeah, she. Is. The kind of person.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: And her brother. A lot of people don't know this, but her older brother is the head of Minority Health up in Washington D.C. Oh. He yeah. used to be the chair of general medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Hmm. And I remember when he took, it's Eliseo uh, Jr. I remember when he took, the her father, by the way, was my chairman when I was chief resident. Oh, really? Huh. And, but I remember even as an intern, he's sitting there going, when we're you know, presenting the histories in the morning, he'd go, you haven't told me what type of home they live in. Hmm. You haven't told me how many people live in that house. Doctor, they're intubated. <laughs> 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 but, but I mean, the importance of knowing all those different things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would always tell Elie Sale Jr. when he moved to Washington, I said, you couldn't handle tolerance. You had to leave San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> they had to come back to the East Coast. <laughs> Where there's more of a struggle. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, imagine, and I, 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 I don't have to think too far because the team that we have is the most spectacular team. I want to make sure that we maintain the culture of, it's, it, it's a true honor to be a servant as a physician. But don't forget that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not about you. And you need people as brilliant as Dr. Schneider, as, as compassionate as he is, as empathetic, to be the example for students. I know you all want him as your doctor, but he's got an academic job to do. But he will see patients a couple days a week, so don't worry about that, <laughs> so you can still see him. But uh, is there any message you want to send out to kids that are listening or parents that might have kids that might want to be doctors?
2: Well, one thing that I think that uh, I hope that will offer at, at Roseman is this, this uh, reinvigorating a sense of, of health care and medicine as a, as a service profession. Right. Um, Yes, it's a stable profession. Yes, you'll make a good living. Yes, it comes with prestige. But, um, but I, when I, you know, I left medicine and I came back to medicine. And one of the reasons I came back to medicine because I think there are very few um, careers in, in America, in the world, where you can have meaningful relationships with people of all backgrounds, and you can you can really get a chance to connect with people. Maybe small, maybe tiny, maybe big. Um, but you can connect with people and help them live their lives. And I don't, I think medicine offers that. And I also think that um, a lot of people may not think they c- could be <clears throat> doctors, but um,
1: they get Get they're, rid of that thought. Yeah,
2: there's a and, lot and, of... And,
1: uh, and get rid of the thought of what they tell us when we start medical school. You're the brightest and the best. You know, and I would think... Well, that sort of bumped Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> you know, I thought he was pretty good. I mean, I'd never met him. But, you yeah. know, what we are is we should be servants. We should be hardworking, studious. You, you can't be stupid and be well, it, a lot of things, but you're not stupid. Come work a, with yeah. us. I mean, you, you know, you you maybe... What you need is to be exposed to different things. We want that first-generation college kid. Why do we want that first-generation college kid? For various reasons. They're hungry. They'll be the first ones in their family to own generational wealth. And I'm not talking Bill Gates, I'm talking you have a house you could leave your tutor, or you can pay for their education, something of that nature. And not only that, the other thing we gotta do is get doctors here in Las Vegas. So why don't we get them from right here? Do you know that in the last or since they've been recording this, there's only been one year that more than 400 students applied to medical school from the state of Nevada, and that was 2021. And it was only 402. So we have to be out there, and Cheryl does that with her Aspire program, and Genesis when they go to the households. I mean, to me, I would love to have Genesis folks come up and say, by the way, that student is from one of our households.
2: Well, another thing I think along those lines that I think that sometimes we, I always try to tell students like let the universe surprise you. You know, like right. let, let the, the 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 um We kind of often have uh, blinders because we have a vision of a doctor is comes from such and such background. They have such and such training, but but um, you know sometimes the most interesting doctors um, come from. Surprising backgrounds, and they might even come from surprising educational backgrounds. I would love it if we had, maybe I, I, it's because of me, but a more humanities backgrounds, I, uh, more the, the, creative backgrounds. The, the, let me the, tell you,
1: I sit on a board of a financial company that in the 1970s would not hire people unless they had a liberal arts degree. Why? Because as the owner of the company said, I can teach you business, but I can't teach you to be a critical thinker. I can't teach you to be a creative thinker. I couldn't agree with Gregory Moore. I would rather have a liberal arts major than a science major. And definitely somebody that's like organic chemistry because you're never gonna use it in medicine. To, <laughs> but you, what you will yeah. use if you have a great humanities background, the understanding of different cultures, mm-hmm. the understanding of history, the understanding of what goes on in life, not just the understanding of a disease. And Gregory, I said this before, there's a big difference on how you treat a diabetic that is homeless than a high diabetic that's the CEO of a company. The disease might be the same. How the disease manifests itself, what happens to the patients, the exposures, the patient's in, it's a completely different treatment. And not just until recently did insulin bring down its cost. And that was lily by 70%. However, you know, think about it, if you're homeless and somebody gives you insulin, what refrigerator do you keep it in, you know? And nitroglycerin, which is one of the cheapest ways to prevent angina, or when angina is occurring, angina, chest pain is says don't expose to heat or light where do you keep that if you're homeless in vegas or in south florida gregor is there anything else you'd like to say to let people know why how how we're going to do it differently and we're not going to stop until we get it done maybe we can change the whole culture one day
2: one well, I thing i i don't know it just strikes me part, part of it you know you're a storyteller and um <laughs> and i think in some ways um humans are storytelling animals. And um, I think that um, if we look at medicine differently, where we look at how do I fit into someone's story, um, we can change medicine. Uh, And then we can hopefully practice medicine in a way that people will tell stories about and that it'll spread and ripple out. And so, as you-
1: You you were the faculty advisor also for the publication the students did.
2: For the Ellicor.
1: The Ellicor, where they do prose, uh, just yeah. narrative writing Painting. or just paintings, Painting. anything Fun to do with that. The, I think the importance of doing that in a medical school is that if you wanna make a change in the world, you, you better be able to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And So that by training our students to be able to do that, we hope that they're the ones, because medicine is shifting drastically now and that's not gonna stop for the next couple of decades. So we need these young minds that can do that, can tell the story that can make the difference, that are in the profession for the right reason. You guys, it's not about your title. Mm-hmm. It's not about your position. And believe me, there's no poor doctors. There's some that are very wealthy, but there's no poor doctor. Medicine is about serving. And it's one of the greatest things you could ever do. Don't ever forget that. And, and work on that humility part That <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Gregory, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, and that, now your wife is a real hero because my daughter tells me that because she's a, a lawyer that works with the very poor. Yes. And, and uh, I got to tell you, when my daughter got into law school, I said, congratulations. I said, I, I know you're smart. I married up. I know you like to help people. Why don't you want to be a doctor? And her response to me fascinated me. She said, Dad, you don't get it. Physicians are doctors to people. Lawyers should be doctors for society. And if we become doctors for society yeah. to make it better, then we can live in a great nation. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, <clears throat> and from Studio A in balmy Las Vegas, <laughs> it's Joe yeah. Greer and Gregory Schneider saying thank you for listening. Uh, thank you. Uh, and do good.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, and comment on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support the groundbreaking work that Dr. Greer is doing at the Roseman University College of Medicine, please donate at the link below. Thanks for tuning in to No Laughing Matter with Cuba Pete, as together we work to unite the heart and science of healthcare to serve all in our communities. See you next time.